Rewatching Good TV Podcast Network presents The Sorkin Cast. Hey there, and welcome to the Sorkin Cast, episode five of the podcast on the Rewatching Good TV podcast network. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SorkinCast.wordpress.com, and that's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast to date. And you can find contact links such as SorkinCast at gmail.com or 314-669-1840, or you can also find podcatcher links like our iTunes link. And I would very much appreciate it if you could help this podcast stay noticeable by leaving a review on iTunes of the written kind. Put a couple stars in there, whatever you feel the podcast deserves, and then write in why you feel the podcast deserves that because that helps me reach more great listeners such as yourself. And when we get to the 12th episode of this podcast, uh, We'll be covering any feedback from West Wing, uh, Season 1, Episodes 1 through 11, that you may have submitted. Again, SorkinCast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at SorkinCast, or you can call the Rewatching Good TV hotline, 314-669-1840. Please leave whatever podcast you're leaving the feedback for in your message when you call there. Uh, so that I can get it to the proper podcast. But if you do any of that by, you know, the week that we drop the 11th episode review of uh, West Wing, then I'll make sure to include your feedback in that 12th episode, as well as thank anybody who has left iTunes reviews up to that point. So get your name set on the podcast or get your thoughts heard on the podcast your username. I won't call you out by your real name. I don't even know if I can on iTunes. Anyway, that's enough about the podcast. This week, we are covering Season 1, Episode 5 of The West Wing, entitled The Crackpots and These Women. The episode, again, written by Aaron Sorkin, who has managed to at least pin the teleplay or written every single episode so far. Uh, new director here, directed by Anthony Drazen. I think is how you say his name. And the episode first aired on October 20th, 1999. It was viewed by an estimated 8.7 million viewers. So the viewership has started to fall off, as you see, as we went along uh, by the time we got to the fifth episode. And uh, I don't know if that was a concern for the network at the time or not. Uh, I can tell you that looking back on it in retrospect, Geos.tv, which is the global episode opinion survey, ranks this particular episode 72nd out of 156 episodes. So slightly better than last week's episode, which I think was like 75th or 76th, maybe, out of 156. Um, definitely in the top half anyway. Let's see. I think that's all of the main information. How about an episode summary? Josh is troubled by NFC safety instructions given to him, but not his friends. Leo sets aside a day for the staff to meet with special interest groups. And Toby and the president battle on multiple political fronts. And we always have a walk and talk little segment right up front. 
there were a couple of small walk and talks this week, but because I think it might seem to you folks over the last couple of podcasts that I give zero love to Mandy at all, I thought it might be good to include the one with her and CJ when they're uh, preparing to tell the president uh, about going to a Hollywood producer's house during their California trip. Here's that walk and talk. I know the president is not wild about Larry Posner's fundraiser on the California trip, but I think we can't pass, and I want to know where you were on this. You don't have to worry about me on Hollywood fundraisers. You have to worry about Toby. (laughs) I know. That's why I'm shoring up support. I'm in. They sent pictures of the Malibu place. It's great. This wasn't the one we used during the primary? No, he bought another place. Where was the one where Roberto Benini pushed me into the swimming pool? That's Larry Posner's house, but that was the old place. It was CJ. If it gets a vote, then isn't it worth it? Which would be fine if Roberto Benini could vote in our elections, but since he's Italian, that makes me a six-foot wet girl in a Donna Karen dress. And we also have our quick jabs, or great quotes, part of the podcast right up front as well. I call them quick jabs. They're either personal or political or professional kind of jabs. Kind of those humorous quotes from each week's episode. And this week, I pretty much stuck to just Bartlett. I made this this particular, this week's quotes, Bartlett-centric. So here we go. Last week's rise in the producer's price index, coupled with the increasingly tight labor market, have sparked a growing concern over future inflation. Do you share that concern, sir? No, Helen, I don't. The U.S. economy is fundamentally uh, strong. I wasn't Helen uh, there, sir. Actually, I was Sandy King. From the uh, Miami Herald? She moved to the Sun-Times. But your voice sounded the same as when you did Helen. Good morning, Mrs. Lanningham. Where are we in the saga of Toby and the president? They seem to be having a disagreement. A disagreement or a fight? Well, it certainly has the potential for... For God's sake, Toby! There we go. Hey, listen up, everybody. Zoe's down from Hanover. I'm making chili for everyone tonight. Oh, oh chili. Great. Great. Okay. All right. Uh, you know what? Let's do this. Everybody, look down at the big seal in the middle of my carpet. Now, everybody look back up at me. Zoe's coming down from Hanover, and I'm making chili for everyone tonight. That's great. great. That's terrific. There. You see how benevolent I can be when everybody just does what I tell them to do? Now, sit down. Sam, it's all about mastering the fundamentals, see? Got to keep your hands up, your feet moving on defense, pass and get open or find the open man and follow his shot on offense. See, I am a master of the fundamentals, and I really believe that that is why my team so thoroughly dominated your team. Yeah, probably didn't hurt so much having a two-time ACC player of the week on your team there. The other kids don't understand the fundamentals. No appreciation for the game, Mr. Mrs. President. Mrs. Lanningham, are you yes, drunk? Sir. No, sir. Now, why would I... I just like asking. You know, I should tell you... Oh, give it up. Where's Zoe? She's in the kitchen. And that concludes our upfront duty. So let's start talking about this episode. In our first clip, troubles begin at a staff basketball game when Toby points out Bartlett's unwillingness to do right because of his need to win. CJ asks Josh to look at a report about smallpox. And Leo briefs the staff on Big Block of Cheese Day. After the meeting, Josh is given a card with instructions on where to go in the event of a nuclear attack and suddenly realizes that he is the only one in his department that will get such information. After you're gone, and the poets write the legend of Josiah Bartlett. Let them write he was a tragic figure, sir. Let the poets write that he had the tools for greatness, 
but the voices of his better angels were shouted down by his obsessive need to win. You want to play or write my eulogy? Can I be honest with you, sir? Mr. Grant, I'm making a substitution. Who is this guy? It isn't so much that you cheat, it's how brazenly bad you are at it. I beg your pardon. Toby's got a point there, sir. Be that as it may, Toby Ziegler, Josh Lyman, Charlie Young, I would like to introduce Mr. Rodney Grant. Mr. Grant is Associate Director of the President's Council on Physical Fitness. Game point, your ball, let's go. No, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. not so fast. What's the problem? Mr. Grant, your name sounds awfully familiar. Before you joined up with the President's Council on Physical Fitness, is it possible that you played some organized ball? Yeah, I used to play a little with my friends. And where was that? <laughs> this guy was in the final Take four. Take the ball out, Toby. Game point. Let's go. All right. Uh, Leo wants you to meet someone named Lacey from the National Security Council in his office after staff. Thank you. There's an article I want you to read in the New Yorker. It's about smallpox. The disease? No, the dessert topping, Josh. Hey. Yes, the disease. We do it on the first of every month. We've missed a few months. But generally speaking, we try to do it on the first of every month. We've done it twice in 12 months. We're a little behind. I still don't know what we're talking about. It's throw open our office doors to people who want to discuss things that we could care less about. Day. Andrew Jackson, in the main foyer of his White House, had a big block of cheese. Huh. The block of cheese was huge, over two tons. And it was there for any and all who might be hungry. Leo, wouldn't this time be better spent plotting a war against a country that can't possibly defend itself against us? We can do that later, Toby. Right now, I'm talking about President Andrew Jackson. Actually, right now, you're talking about a big block of cheese. And Sam goes on my list. What about Toby? I'm unpredictable. Jackson wanted the White House to belong to the people. So from time to time, he opened his doors to those who wished an audience. It is in the spirit of Andrew Jackson that I, from time to time, asked senior staff to have face-to-face -face meetings with those people representing organizations who have a difficult time getting our attention. I know the more jaded among you see this as something rather beneath you. But I assure you that listening to the voices of passionate Americans is beneath no one. This is Jonathan Lacey. Josh Lyman, good to meet you. I only have a few moments. I know you're busy, too. What can I do for you? I'd like you to keep this card on your person at all times. If you keep it in your wallet and you lose your wallet, your first call isn't to American Express, it's to us. Who's us? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you knew. I'm with the NSC. Uh, they told me that. I meant, uh, what's the card do? It tells you where to go in the event of a nuclear attack. Obviously, we want to get everyone up on Air Force One or into one of the underground command centers as quickly as possible. Okay, I, I, I really, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I guess that's it then. Well, should you have any questions, you should feel free to call. Sure. And, and my staff goes with me, or do they have separate... Oh, God. Sorry, you know what? I just got it. Sorry. Okay. Sure, I'm just gonna, I'll stick this right here, right next to my, uh, my video club membership, and there's no reason, I guess, why my staff ever has to know anything about it. So there it is. And I think the best thing to do is just forget all about it. I'll go now. All right. So the gag part of the basketball stuff was, was funny. Uh, having an ACC player of the week playing for uh, the president's team. Uh, but the beginning of the clip, I think, is actually the most important part. Well, I guess it's not really clear if this happens all of the time. 
you can see that Toby in some ways is probably as much of an idealist as Sam. And I love that he challenges the president on sacrificing values sometimes just to win. Now, I will say, just from a rewatch perspective, this episode is the first of many battles that we'll see Toby and Bartlett have. And I actually, I love those kind of episodes. In fact, even though last week we kind of talked about some episodes becoming more centric to characters, and I feel like this one is supposed to be Josh-centric, since we kind of focus in on on a personal issue with him. Um, Anytime there's a Toby Bartlett thing, uh, I tend to lean more towards it being centric to that than to anything else, really, no matter what else is going on. And that's just kind of a fault of mine because I love these battles between Toby and Bartlett and how big they sometimes get and how you see that there's there's a real friendship between those guys and how far it can be taken. Um, but anyway, uh, again, I guess this episode is supposed to be centric to Josh, so let's talk about him for a second. Him getting this card, you can see, really surprises him. And I think instinctively, as we will see, the first person that he really thinks about is Donna. Now, for those of us who generally love the Donna and Josh scenes that we have throughout the series, it's kind of heartwarming to see him think about being concerned for her. Of course, then again, it could just be him wondering how he's going to get all that work done by himself. No, no, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, There is one thing that troubles me about Josh because of all of this, though. Uh, But then again, at the same time, it kind of endears me to him. He ends up getting more and more worked up about this as the episode goes on, naturally. But when you consider how heartless he was in dealing with Congress in last week's episode, it kind of makes him feel a little bit wishy-washy. Like, on one hand, he's this bully... Uh, But he's a bully with issues, I guess. Um, Nonetheless, I I think that as the issue is actually revealed in this episode, it does kind of turn you back around to just a point of empathy for Josh. And uh, I suppose it makes the character fairly realistic as well. Uh, Let's talk real quick about Big Block of Cheese Day. Now, when I first saw this episode... I thought that this story that Leo gave was actually crap. It, now, admittedly, I didn't pay much attention to history lectures in college or anything. So I actually had to go and, and look this up when I first saw this episode. And the Internet was not quite as big as it is now back then, but it was still pretty. It was getting there. Um, but I did find out that Jackson did receive a gift of a 1,400-pound block of cheese from a New York dairy farmer named Meacham. And he did have it in the White House for people to be able to take. He he served it at a a reception. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, Leo makes it sound like that it was there for a long time and that he invited people in to talk about issues and everything. Actually, I think he only... The the cheese was brought in and aged for a while before he actually uh, served it to anyone or allowed anyone to eat it. And it was really during the, the last year of his administration Um, so it's not like he was doing this the whole time as Leo would like to make you think. Nonetheless, uh, I I like that it kind of inspires Leo here to reach out to groups who wouldn't normally have their views heard. And 
in real life, I guess you could say it, it allegedly it this whole idea kind of inspired the whole Obama White House and its creation of social media outreach day as well, uh, just to put it in the context of the real world. Um, I think Leo here is pretty inspiring with his idealism of letting everyone be heard, no matter how crazy their ideas seem. And boy, we're going to get some crazy ideas in this app, don't we? But on the other hand, most of the staff, I, I also feel like have a point in saying this is kind of a waste of time, especially if the ideas are kind of outlandish, as outlandish as they are at least presented in this episode. And I'm, I guess what we're seeing are extremes uh, to that side uh, to, to help create the part of the title, the crackpots. I would like to think that embedded in some of these meetings, there are some people with some actual real good ideas that just haven't had a chance to be heard. Uh, but we can talk more about that later. The, the spirit of, of the idea definitely is fun and um, encouraging. And I guess that's all I've got to say about that clip, so let's move on to the second clip. And in this clip, the battle between Toby and Bartlett continues in a press conference prep. Sam learns about UFOs, Bartlett learns that his daughter is coming to visit, and Toby and the president go around again on what to do about an invitation from a contributing Hollywood producer while the group will be in California. That's it for the economy. Good, let's move to guns. We don't need to do guns. Sir, they are absolutely going to ask about guns. I'm not saying they're not going to ask about them, Toby. I'm saying I'm all set. How about one or two questions, Mr. President? Is it time for my 10 a.m. scolding? Oh, we're going to have this argument again. Mr. President. Let's do guns. Sir. Let's do guns, Sam. Mr. President, is there any reason to believe this victory, this weapons ban bill, will have any significant production crime? Yes. Next question. Mr. President. Ah, Mr. Ziegler from the Coney Island Killjoy. You have a follow-up? You're going to take that question? We're lucky enough to get the question. You're going to take it and blow it off? Yes. Do respect, sir. May I ask why? Because I'm weak-willed and stupid. Let's do this another time. Four days ago, sir, we, we talked this over. And then I talked it over with some other people. Which people? I have lots of other people. Sir, I believe we are missing a huge opportunity here. So you are from United States Space Command. Yeah, not a lot of people know about us. This is my first time. Yeah, we're a little nerdy, I'll admit. You camouflage it well with your clothing. I'm used to that, Sam. What can I do for you, Bob? In a nutshell? So to speak. We'd like the White House to pay a little more attention to UFOs. This morning at 6.35 a.m. local time, air traffic control in Honolulu picked up an unidentified flying object flying east across the Pacific towards California. These things happen and go unexplained. You don't think this is something you should take to the president? No. Again, may I ask why not? Because there are levels and an order to our Air Defense Command and to jump from our radar officer to the commander-in-chief would skip several of those levels. Like what? Like the Pentagon and, you know, perhaps therapy. Okay, I can see that. Bob, no hard feelings, but I can't walk into the cabinet room and ask the president to put down the budget surplus because there are flying saucers over Maui. Something's heading east in the sky over the Pacific. It's in and out of our radar. We can't see it, and it's up there right now. I leave you with that thought. Yes, sir. Ah, Charlie, my youngest daughter Zoe is down from Hanover. I'm making chili tonight. It's her favorite. Uh, so you know the first lady does not want you first to First ladies in Pakistan, I can eat whatever I want. Yes, sir. I'm going to need some ingredients. Like what? Look, Mrs. Landingham's got it all written down somewhere. Just tell her to give it to the steward's office. Okay. And send everyone else in. Yes, sir. We're going to California in a few weeks. Yes. Larry Posner would like to host a fundraiser. Nope. Why? Because 24 hours earlier, the president's going to give a speech to the entertainment industry on violence and film and television. A speech I don't think he should be giving. That's besides the point. What's the point? Larry Posner's movies are incredibly violent. So is The Godfather. 
What you mean to say is Larry Posner's movies are incredibly bad. I don't see how we can admonish Hollywood on a Tuesday and cash their check on a Wednesday. How can we do that? Because it's Hollywood. Who gives a damn? Now, hang on a second, Mr. President. You have me drafting a speech for the entertainment industry where we more than suggest we come right out and say that much of their product is corruptive. Now, are, are we doing this because we believe that it's time for them to take moral leadership seriously, or are we doing it because nobody ever lost an election attacking Hollywood? Why can't we do both? It's not hypocritical, sir? No. Why not? Because Sam is right. It's not that Larry Posner's movies have gratuitous sex and gratuitous violence. It's that they suck. They're terrible. We are going to go out there and implore these people to step up to the plate and not be quite so casual with the awesome influence that they have. That's fantastic. But, sir, every time someone makes headlines by blowing thunder at this ridiculous target, it only serves as a criminal distraction in the pursuit of actual solutions. Now, let, me, let me just say one other thing. If I were an actor or a writer or a director or a, 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 a producer in Hollywood and someone were to start coming at me with lists of things that were American and un-American, I'd start to think that this was sounding eerily familiar. Do I look like Joe McCarthy to you, Toby? No, sir. Nobody ever looks like Joe McCarthy. So they get in the door in the first place. Yeah. And time's up. Thank Great. you, Mr. President. Chili tonight. Yes, sir. Thank you. Wow. You know, on every turn, Toby is kind of dealing with Bartlett not wanting to make people angry. And, well, Toby's idealism is showing a little bit, I'd have to say. Um, I'd also have to say that I actually go with Toby's positions on the gun law that they just passed and even Hollywood. In the fact that if they're going to admonish movie makers, then taking one of those producers' checks does seem hypocritical to me. It also kind of made me a little bit disappointed in Bartlett uh, the first time I watched this especially. Because up until this point, Bartlett had always seemed to be kind of on the right side of things for the most part. And granted, he had a little trouble with the Joint Chiefs asking for a disproportional response, but uh, he learned his lesson there. But I also see that Bartlett does seem to have this obsessive need to win. And that issue goes a long way in this series. So I don't want to say any more than that. Um, but it it does seem very clear uh, from Toby's point of view and from mine that he's kind of dodging the gun question so that it looks more like a political victory than it actually was. And he's doing both parts of the Hollywood thing because it's a win-win to do it in that way. I mean... He gets to attack Hollywood, and he gets to basically cash a check from a big political contributor. Um, but I do love seeing the idealistic side of Toby, simply because we've seen him pretty much protect the message at this point. And I wonder if the reason why we're seeing this with Toby now, and we hadn't seen it before, is that Toby sometimes thinks that the message is wrong. And he wants to course correct it a little bit because then he can feel better about protecting it. And I, I love that about Toby. And I guess we'll say as far as Sam and the aliens go, there, there's not a whole lot to say except that you find it entertaining that Sorkin has his characters deal with some organizations that most of us in the mainstream were, would say are a little wacky. I, I Again, I'll say it would have been nice to have one organization present some kind of real idea that this White House likes. But I said I would address this. I, I think it's probably also part of the Sorkin mandate that the only people with good ideas are supposed to be as heroes and heroines. 
not necessarily people from the outside. Although, that that's a little bit of a gray area. I don't want to say that's a Sorkin mandate, but it always seems like that his characters are the only ones that matter. I know they're all his characters, but nonetheless, it, it feels like his heroes and his heroines are the only ones that, that matter, and everybody else is just wrong sometimes, unless they're within battling within, like Toby and Bartlett are here, and you see um, whether one of them is better ideal than the other. And I, I go with Team Toby in this particular episode. I guess that's it for this clip. Let's move on to the third clip. And in a conversation with Sam, Josh comes to realize that none of his administration friends have been given an NSC card. CJ has her block of cheese day meeting about a wolves only highway. And Toby finds out from Mandy that someone else was considered for his job first as Josh goes and sees his therapist about his situation. When they gave you the card and they told you that it was just you and not Kathy, how did you how did you feel about that? When they gave me what card? The NSC guy, the card with the directions. The directions to... You, CJ, Toby. I, I'm saying when the NSC guy gave you your cards. Josh, what card? CJ, we'd like to tell you the story of Pluey. Who's Pluey? I'm glad you asked. Pluey's a wolf? Yeah, she is. And you're going to tell me her story? For four years, scientists have tracked Pluey as she made her way from Banff National Park in Alberta up and down the Rockies. In that time, she's made three round trips between Canada and Wyoming, covering 40,000 square miles. We think you'll admit it was a pretty impressive performance for Pluey, especially when you consider the impediments of modern life she had to conquer. Highways, housing forests denuded of trees why does pluey make the trek because wolves have to breed with many packs in order to keep from becoming extinct really if they breed among themselves they'll eventually produce offspring that's genetically weaker thus endangering their long-term survival may we tell you what we propose sure remember a few months ago when i asked you if i was the president's first choice we're back to this and you call me paranoid Yes. And a nudnik. You called me a paranoid nudnik. Toby, for the 48th time, you were not the president's second choice. What about David Rosen? What about David Rosen? Mandy was just in my office, and she said she was happy David Rosen passed on my job. Carol, we're going to start in a few minutes. Here, bring him in. Give him fair warning. David Rosen! I don't, Toby, I know nothing about David Rosen, and I don't know where this is coming from. I'm out of practice. <laughs> That's what comes from not coming to see me for 10 months. Well, I think the idea would make some of the people I work for nervous. Why are you here now? I can't get Ave Maria out of my head. The Schubert? Why do you think the Ave Maria? Why do you think the Ave Maria? I don't know. <laughs> my sister used to play it over and over in a room, but that, that was, I don't know how many years ago. Your sister who died? Joni. Anyway, there's that. Plus, I have to tell you, I was a little thrown off this morning when they gave me this card, and it turns out that I was the only one who got one. I mean, my friends. It's really not a big deal, Stanley. I'm sorry I had you cancel an appointment. But I did cancel. Why don't you take your coat off and sit down? It was an impulse. I, I, I wasted your time. Josh, do you think it's strange that you've never told me how Joni died? Uh, she, she was babysitting for me and there was a fire. How'd the fire start? I, I honestly, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> something about a popcorn maker. And the house caught on fire? Yeah. While your sister Joni was babysitting for you? Yeah. Why aren't you dead? 
You were just a little boy, Josh. That's what you were supposed to do. So this is the big download on Josh, right? And it's an issue that he has that I think we're probably going to visit a couple times in this series. Obviously, Josh definitely has feelings about leaving people behind when they're in peril because of his sister. And he gets set off again with this whole NSC card thing. He's, of course, being told that he's supposed to run away in the event of an attack while leaving those he cares about behind, which I guess is exactly what happened with his sister, and that has stuck with him. It would be traumatic uh, if you were little and you remember it at all, or maybe part of him has blocked it out. I actually find the exploration of this issue making it real for Josh, making Josh realistic, and, 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 I, and it's, of course, frightening for him. And I love that maybe this is the way that Sorkin finally gets us to really invest in Josh if we haven't already. Because while he can be a bully with Congress or political rivals, this really helped me get past any feelings about his wishy-washiness in regard to him. And uh, I, I, this this one made me kind of team Josh as well. It's it's funny how it takes a little while for Sorkin to get you to really like some of his characters, or at least for me, it takes him a while to get me to like some of his characters. But uh, I was pretty much sold on Team Josh by the end of this episode. Um, now I didn't include all of the CJ meeting, uh, but again, that scene was mostly just for comedy, uh, some comedy relief in order to alleviate all of the other heavy stuff with Josh and Toby going on in this particular episode. <laughs> a wolves only highway. Uh, there, there's something that I didn't include in the clip either, but CJ's solution as to how to spend that money better, I thought was really great too. Building the nine best schools in America or something like that. That was fantastic. And now and back to the heavy, uh, Toby's, poor guy's at his wit's end. Um, I didn't include the actual conversation between him and Mandy, but let me talk about that for a minute because, I, you know, I got to express some Mandy hate here. I remember thinking that Mandy wasn't actually being nice, even though she said, this is how I'm being nice. I kind of, you know, the way it hit Toby, I felt like she was trying to stick it to him. Maybe that is because of the prejudices I kind of already have established about Mandy. Uh, so if you disagree with my kind of assessment of her intentions, you can feel free to let me know. Again, sorkincast.gmail.com, or you can call 314-669-1840, or you can tweet at Sorkincast. One thing is for sure, though, and that is that uh, Toby finding out this information from Mandy certainly shakes him up a lot. And in this scene with CJ, um, he brings up that little bit about being the kid in school who raises his hand and nobody calls on him. I mean, that really made me feel for Toby in in ways because sometimes it is the obstinate opinion uh, that gets overlooked rather than acknowledged. Although I haven't, I gotta admit, I haven't been in, in a classroom in years, so I don't know if teachers are taking a different approach to this now. But that was kind of a little bit of subtle pontificating, I think, from Sorkin as well. Um, Toby's not any less bright than anybody else in the room, but his opinions do make him stand out sometimes. And, um, that's why 
he's feeling ignored right now, I think. So that was fantastic. And that's all I have for that clip. So let's move on to clip four. And in this clip, it's the evening of the president's party for his daughter, Zoe. And as that's going on, Josh tells CJ about the NSC card and ties it in with the smallpox article that she had given him. And then Toby and the president resolve their tensions to some degree. And Josh introduces Charlie to Zoe. What are you doing? I think I'm ready to brief the president on the smallpox article. Why don't you forget about that for tonight and come have some chili? Everyone's there. CJ, an NSC staffer gave me a card with instructions on it for what I'm supposed to do in the event of a nuclear attack. They want me up in the plane or down in a bunker. They don't want you. Or Sam or Toby, for that matter. I, I didn't want to be friends with you and have you not know. Josh, have you been upset about this? Yes. You're very sweet sometimes. You really are. CJ. Of course they don't want me, Josh. I'm a press secretary. I don't think they're going to be issuing a whole lot of releases. <laughs> Sam and Toby are communications, and my guess is that speech writing won't be a priority either. Josh, the Cold War is over. There's not going to be a nuclear... God, CJ. It's not going to be like that. It's not going to be the red phone and nuclear bombs. What's it going to be? <laughs> it's going to be this. It's going to be something like this. Smallpox has been gone for 50 years. No one has an acquired immunity. It flies through the air. You get it, you carry a 10-foot cloud around with you. If 100 people in New York City get it, there's going to be a global medical emergency that's going to make HIV look like cold and flu season. That's how it's going to be. A, a, a little test tube with a, a rubber cap that's deteriorating. Guy steps out of Times Square Station. Smashes it on the sidewalk. There's a world war right there. We'll make more vaccine. You better hurry, because I'm the only one with one of these cards. So I guess we haven't been getting along too well lately, have we, sir? No, I guess not. I've been irritating you. Yes. Was David Rosen your first choice for my job? Yes. Well, I'm glad we had this little talk, sir. <laughs> I feel a lot better. Thank you. We were up all night on that one, Toby. Me and Leo and Josh. They were screaming to me, Governor, for God's sakes, it's got to be Toby. It's got to be Toby. But I held my ground and we went to David Rosen, and Rosen said he wanted to take a partnership with Solomon Brothers. Thank God. I couldn't live without you, Toby. I know I disappoint you sometimes. I mean, I can sense your disappointment. And I only get mad because I know you're right a lot of the times. But you are not the kid in the class with his hand up and whatever it was you said to CJ. You are a wise and brilliant man, Toby. The other night when we were playing basketball, did you mean what you said? My demons were shouting down the better angels in my brain? Yes, sir, I did. You think that's what's stopping me from greatness? Yes. Tell you what, though, sir. In a battle between a president's demons and his better angels, for the first time in a long while, I think we might just have ourselves a fair fight. Thank you, Toby. Now go away. I heard you've been having a little nutty today. Uh, mind your own business. What class is you taking? Mind your own business. Okay. Charlie, you met Soy Barlin? 
No, it's a pleasure to meet you, ma'am. I'm Charlie Young. Hi. Okay, hang on a second. Let's take it back a moment and give it another chance. This is a girl, Charlie. You don't have to call her ma'am. <laughs> I, I beg your pardon. Did I call you... Zoe. I should call you Zoe? If I can call you Charlie. Yes. See you guys. So there's so many things to me that are right about this conversation with Josh and CJ. First of all, he's putting a voice to his issues so that he can deal with it. That's good. That's healthy. The second, the reasoning as to why he gets a card and the others don't actually makes perfect sense to me. And third, Sorkin gets a chance to pontificate just a little bit about bioterrorism. Um, now, that's something that in a pre-9-11 world, uh, I think was probably one of the top concerns for American security issues. Probably still ought to be a top concern even today, uh, in my opinion. But moreover, I think what's beautiful about it is pontificating here is to show us how unprepared we are for the return of something that could kill us silently, be it by bioterrorism or not. The argument about the whole lack of vaccinations, uh, I remember when I first watched this, was kind of alarming to me personally. Although, you know, I'm a scaredy cat, so what do I know? Uh, but anyway, I, I love that conversation between Josh and CJ. That was fantastic. I also love how Toby and Bartlett can be open with each other about their situation and come out on the other side of it okay. At least okay for now, right? Um, again, I'll say that, you know, I love that they introduce this character trait in Toby and the fact that these guys go back and forth because you can guarantee that it's going to happen again and again and again. And it makes for great television to me. And then uh, as for the last little bit, Josh gets to play a little matchmaker with Zoe and Charlie. And I guess the scene for me was actually a little too direct I mean, I felt like Sorkin was hitting me over the head with a hammer and kind of screaming, ship them, ship them, at the top of his lungs. But I, I still like the actors portraying it, and I actually do ship them as a couple wholeheartedly. So uh, I guess it won. In, in the end, Sorkin got his, uh, his goal across, even if he didn't do it in a way I would have liked. And that's all I've got for that clip, so let's move to the last clip where we get an explanation of the second part of the episode's title, and Josh gives his NSC card back. Then the president talks to everyone about Big Block of Cheese Day. So what were you guys talking about? We were talking about these women. Yeah? We can't get over these women. Let me see, James. She's like a 50s movie star. So capable so loving and energetic. Look at Mandy over there. Going punch for punch with Toby in a world that tells women to sit down and shut up. Mandy's already won her battle with the president. The game's over. But she's not done. She wants Toby. Mrs. Lanningham. Did you guys know she lost two sons in Vietnam? What would make her want to serve her country is beyond me. But in 14 years, she's not missed a day's work, not one. There's Kathy, Donna, and Margaret. Mr. President, there's something that's been bothering me for most of the day, and while I know this is an inappropriate time... Oh, what's on your mind, Josh? I serve at the pleasure of the President, and it's a great privilege that I will never forget. I can't keep this. I think it's a white flag of surrender. 
I want to be a comfort to my friends in tragedy, and I want to be able to celebrate with them in triumph. And for all the times in between, I just want to be able to look them in the eye. Leo, it's not for me. I want to be with my friends, my family, and these women. Well, the chili's ready, and I hope you all enjoy it. I hope that by the time we're done with our four years here, we'll have seen to it that every young person who chooses can go to college and beyond, regardless of their economic status. Yeah. Understand that today was another one of Leo's big block of cheese days. <laughs> you all start out so cynical, but it never fails. By the end of the day, there's always one or two converts, right? And today was no exception. C.J. Craig is going to be up all night writing a position paper for the Interior Department on the necessity of wildlife protection. C.J., I don't mind the cost of this wolves-only highway. It's a segregation. The ACLU is going to file a petition on behalf of some reindeer, and then we're all screwed. Sam Seaborn had a guy who spotted a UFO today, am I right? Mm. Sam laughed him out of his office, but you've been thinking about it ever since. But you can rest assured, Sam. It was not a spaceship from another planet, just another time. A long-since abandoned Soviet satellite. One of its booster rockets didn't fire and it couldn't escape Earth's orbit. A sad reminder of a time when two powerful nations challenged each other and then boldly raced into outer space. What will be the next thing that challenges us, Toby? That makes us go farther and work harder. You know that when smallpox was eradicated, it was considered the single greatest humanitarian achievement of this century. Surely we can do it again, as we did in a time when our eyes looked towards the heavens, and with outstretched fingers, we touched the face of God. Here's to absent friends, and the ones that are here now. Josh giving the card back, I have to say, was actually a little bit of a surprise to me. And I'm kind of conflicted as to whether I should admire him for it or not. I mean, I do admire his reasoning. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it's great. And maybe this is his way of resolving, helping to try and resolve this issue for himself about the fact that he lost his sister because he ran out of the burning fire. But... I also kind of question whether in the face of a possible global emergency, if, if he's kind of ducking a larger responsibility to all of humankind. I don't know. What do you think? Sorkincast at gmail.com or 314-669-1840 or at Sorkincast. Let me know what you think. I keep trolling for you guys to send me some feedback so that I'll have something to do when we get to episode 12. I hope you'll help me out um, with your own thoughts about these episodes. Now, the bit with Leo and Bartlett talking about the women of the White House, I, I mean, that was great. And I, I like that Sorkin even takes a moment to point out a little bit about Mandy and that. Now, I know I've been pretty hard on Mandy, and maybe I'll get some feedback about that. But it would seem that neither the president nor Leo really have anything but admiration for her attitude of kind of dissent. So maybe the, seeing this kind of, will change my mind about her too. But I think we're going to have to see. The proof is in the pudding, right? And uh, feel free to let me know how you feel about that. And as far as Bartlett's final speech, of course it kind of ties everything in the episode together in a typical Sorkin fashion. 
the the one complaint that I'd have about these kind of things sometimes is that if only real people spoke like that, right? But that's a Sorkin trait. It's what makes the show a guilty pleasure. And I have to admit that sometimes it does make good TV for me as well. I mean, I know that some of these things will make a person stop watching a show even because they just feel like, yeah, it's just the characters are too drawn and too perfect and all of that. And it takes all of the realism out of it. Uh, but I, I guess with Sorkin shows, perhaps more than any other kind of shows, uh, I kind of enjoy diving into the overdone or the fantastic because I do just kind of treat them as guilty pleasures. I, I will say this, uh, and I don't, I know I don't do like a, a cleft note section like I've done on podcast Winterfell or a G Kino moment like I've done with the Lost podcast, but I do want to give a, a shout out to to Snuffy, the guy who does the score for this show. He scored the speech with a really sweet arrangement of the Schubert Ave Maria, and it didn't have a voice in it. Um, and I loved how that, musically speaking, also tied everything together thematically since it was going underneath Bartlett talking about everything else in the episode that wasn't about Josh, and the Ave Maria thing was so important to Josh. So, uh, shout out to Snuffy uh, for a good call there. And... That's my thoughts on this episode. Let's get to a rating, shall we? Again, you can find my special tin scale that I use to rate these episodes at sorkincast.wordpress.com. And maybe this will surprise you, or not. I don't know. 7.9. In fact, I'll go 7.99. It's just as close to an 8 that I can give it without giving it an 8. I think mainly that's because this is the episode that probably sold me most on liking Josh. And that would have been either in a first watch or a rewatch context. Plus, you know, the block of cheese day was a great thing to add some humor around a couple of really serious issues regarding Josh and Toby. So... Again, seven point, well, I'll do it, 7.99. Let's just go there. And next week's episode, as we wrap up this podcast, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 6, Mr. Willis of Ohio. Don't forget that I'm taking feedback for all of these episodes, and in Episode 12 of this podcast, we'll take your feedback for Episodes 1 through 11 of the West Wing of Season 1, and you can submit emails to sorkincast at gmail.com. Or you can call the Rewatching Good TV listener line, 314-669-1840. Make sure to mention that you're leaving your feedback for the Sorkincast. Or you can tweet at Sorkincast on Twitter. Again, you can find all of that information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. See you next time.